Amen. Well, you can be seated. Um, I hobbled through the back here today uh, because my calf still hurts. Everybody say, aww. Yeah. So I, I, I think I shared last week that I, I injured it um, while surfing. But the only cool thing about what happened when I injured it is that I happened to be surfing when it happened. So there was actually nothing heroic that I did. But um, it'll be a couple more weeks where I have a crutch or two. I bring two crutches around here because I get way more sympathy. Um, when I have two crutches, people just start bringing stuff on the stage and whatever else. Plus, it's part of my dream to be able to make an entrance. Like, I got to make an entrance, which I thought was cool, you know. I was hoping for a theme song, but it didn't happen. So anyways, um, I'm, I'm excited to be here, and I'm grateful for each one of you for sure. Before I get into the message today, which I'm excited to bring as well, um, I'm enjoying so much the Gospel of John. I'm in, I'm in, in my own life, just looking forward to the opening of God's Word and studying it, and then the privilege that it is to bring it to you. And I, I believe today God has something special for us, and maybe even some text that we've seen. I mean, today we're in the third chapter, and we're going to get to like the, the big one, John 3.16, right? Like if we make it there, that's the one that we all know, John 3.16, the but, um, but even as we study and we read these texts or these scriptures that were um, maybe familiar to us, my prayer and my hope is that God will bring something fresh for us this morning. Um, but before I get into that, I have a couple of announcements. It's that time of year for us as a congregation. In, in October is when we have our annual business meeting. And man, I can't wait to do ours this year. It's a lot of good stuff to report on. It's going to be a fun one. And um, we have pushed that date out a little bit, so we're going to be in November, uh, November 19th, and we're doing that for a number of reasons, but one, um, we have so much to be grateful for, and we're just going to bring that right into a season of Thanksgiving. Um, a couple of things, though, as we, we get ready for that, many times people ask us, how do we become members of the church, and what is church membership? And so just a brief bit on that, um, I, I've been... In, in all honesty, through the, through the years, I wonder sometimes, what is, like, is that necessary? Like, is church membership more like, like, I always give the um, sort of, uh, we can hold off on that, sl on that slide, but um, I, <laughs> I, I sometimes wonder, like, is church membership like Costco, right? Like, you, you get discounts or things like that, and that just doesn't feel right. It feels like so commercial, you know, so I sort of, like, we do it, but it, it's like a necessary. But then I, I really, through the years, have, have searched the scripture and try to understand what's God's heart for his church. And as you, you think about what it says in scripture, there's many uh, metaphors for the body of Christ, and that is a metaphor for the church, a body, right? And in, the, in, in Corinthians, that metaphor for body is that we're all these different parts, but we're interconnected, and we are members of one another. So we're interdependent upon one another, but we're also completely dependent on Jesus, who's our head. So there you see, like, membership, right? Like, I need you, you need me. And, and also that there's differences, that we're not all the same person doing the same function. So that's an aspect of membership. There's another aspect or another um, uh, metaphor for church, and it's the bride. Sometimes as, uh, it's difficult to understand that, especially for males, that we would be called the bride of Christ. But really what that is is a beautiful picture, and you can read about it in Ephesians. It's this beautiful picture of, of Jesus making ready us for just this wonderful covenantal union that is, is inseparable, right? And so it's this, this idea of as members of a church that we're being made holy. How many of you find that fun? Right? That there's this process of like sanctification where, where as we study God's word, as we live in community with one another, that we're being made ready. So that's, that's part of the bride. And there's others as well. 
Um, there, but the, uh, another one that really rang true to me as I looked at it again this time is, is um, a flock, right? That Jesus is the great shepherd of the sheep. And then he calls some to be like under shepherds, right? You have like a pastoral staff. You have those that are doing their best to care for you spiritually. And I think that might be the closest one for me as I understand membership, that as the body of Christ is this big church, that there's more going on in the kingdom of God than right here at 710 South Cambridge. You know that, right? Like there's some cool stuff happening here, but we're a part of a worldwide family of every tribe, every tongue, and every nation that God's heart is for the whole world, as we'll see. But there's local bodies of believers that gather together under the name of Jesus. And we, some get the privilege of having a building like us. Others meet at parks or some meet at community centers or wherever else. But there's sort of flocks of people that travel together, that share vision and value all under the name of God and under the, the word of God. And so what, what we want to present to you, if you're not a, a part of the membership of Bridge and, and you do... Um, want to be more formally a part of this flock, then you have every opportunity to do it. But according to scripture, those that, that are under that flock are those that have decided to follow Jesus, those that have made like a public confession. So we have on that slide that if you want to put it up now, um, it was supposed to be a big reveal. No, I'm just kidding. It really wasn't. Um, there is a QR code that you can scan there. And so if you're interested in membership, there's a little bit there about it. But there's also some boxes to check. And those boxes are biblical responses to membership. So yes, I am a follower of Jesus. Yes, I want to contribute to Bridge Community Church. Yes, I'm in agreement with the values. And if you find yourself yes to those categories and you want to do it, then we want to have you as members of the church. It really isn't like a, 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 a it's, it's accessible. And we want to make it more accessible to you. If you're not a computer person and you got like, man, I want to see it on paper, We've got you in mind, too. It's on paper in the, um, right there in the, in the welcome desk. Come check it out. Read on it. Ask us questions if you have questions. And, and know this, okay? This is very important for, for me to say and for you to hear. Whether you decide to be a formal member of Bridge or not, it does not change the way that you are treated. That means that if, if somebody is going through something and, and we find out about it, we're not like, hey, are, are, are they a member Oh, they're not? Ah, yeah, I can't make it to the hospital today. Yeah, they're not a member. Yeah, no, no, this is the family of God. This is just a discipleship opportunity for you to formally say, hey, I, I want to be under the care of these particular shepherds. I want to be in this community, not only as one who's growing and learning here, but I want to give here too and be a part of nurturing the flock for others. There's a lot of scripture on it. We have a membership class that we'd love for you to attend and learn more about the history of the church, but it was important for us to make membership accessible to you and make it on a regular basis. So there it is, QR code there, and then there's also more uh, uh, paper and same information for you at the, at the desk there. Um, one of the things that members do, and especially in this time of year, is um, nominate or present people who would be potential deacons. And so you'll also find um, in the information area there, a form there that has scriptural requirements for those who um, are qualified to serve as a deacon. And so if you're a member and you know someone, pray, um, talk to them before you recommend them and, and put their name on there. And, and you can put that either in the offering box or just give it to one of us. So um, that's that. So remember those things. Here's how you become a member, why you're a member or not a member, uh, meeting on the 19th and deacon nominations. I can just check all my boxes and now we can move on. All right. Thank you. Thank you very much. John chapter 3. Um, can you bring the water? 
That was my secret to my beautiful wife. Hey, everybody, this is my wife, Rochelle. Turn around, thank you. <laughs> Another reason for the crutches is, like, again, you just like that, right? I didn't have to go. Um, I'm grateful for our message last week from Pastor Andy and, and always grateful for his teaching. And, and it really kind of helped us and led us into this time. And remember that... As we're studying the Gospel of John, we're studying portions of Scripture, but those Scriptures connect to the one that you read before. So this is a, a woven um, message. And the Gospel of John, one of the ways that I really like that it was described is that it is a spiritual Gospel. You, and they're all spiritual. Everything is spiritual. It's the Word of God. But, but if you read Luke, for example, Luke is an orderly account. Right? It's like really detailed. John seems to be sort of all over the place in some ways, and maybe in our thinking, but he's putting certain things together to, to give a message. And the more you read the Gospel of John, the more you realize that you're presented with a very clear um, argument or a very clear um, presentation of who Jesus is, and you got to do something with it. And as you look at it, you see the, the claims that Jesus makes about himself. You see the claims that others make about Jesus. You witness conversations that Jesus has with key people. And, and everything points to the fact that, hey, this is not only the Messiah, this is the Son of God. And this message that he brings is so that we can have life, right? And that's written throughout the pages of the Gospel of John is, is part of the, the huge theme is believe in him and you'll have life, right? And, and so the, today's message, um, we're going to meet a guy named Nicodemus. Everybody say Nicodemus. Nicodemus is a, a person, in, a historical figure, and, and Scripture records a conversation that he and Jesus have together. What's interesting about him is that he's a Pharisee, and we'll talk a little bit more about what all of that means. But as you look at the last verse that we read um, in last Sunday, if you want to turn with me there to John chapter 2 in verse 23, you'll remember that Jesus went and cleansed the temple. And the cleansing of the temple was a, not like a whim that Jesus had, like Pastor Andy showed us. It wasn't like he walked in and goes, hey, wait, what's going on? I'm mad now. I'm going to mess this place up. But it was part of his plan. It was part of his plan to make right the things that were wrong. And he did it in a very demonstrative way. And he did it in a very authoritative way, in a way that maybe causes offense for some people's conception or view of who Jesus is. Like, hey, Jesus isn't supposed to be making whips and turning tables over. But the Son of God had a righteous anger towards the oppression of the poor, for example, who were being prohibited from worship. And he was, God was upset about the way that his house, which was intended to be a place of prayer, was a place of commerce where the wealthier were getting more wealthy by oppressing the poor. That's stuff that we should be getting pretty angry about. That's, that's worthy of making the whip. That's worthy of flipping the tables. And so there was this new message that was authoritative and from God and Jesus was building momentum in popularity and, and people were, were surrounding him everywhere. And then we read these words in John chapter 2 and starting in verse 23. It says, now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name. And when they saw the signs that he was doing, they listened to Jesus. But Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people. And he and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. 
So it's no wonder that people are like going, wow, this is my guy. He finally is doing something about the injustices of the world and doing it publicly. This is my guy. He's now healing people. And look at the signs. Like, this is the guy I want to follow. But what John, I believe, is telling us is Jesus didn't like rely on that popularity as some sort of ego stroke. That wasn't like, okay, cool. I got people. I'm valid now. I've got people following me. He knew what was in the hearts of people. And here's the bad news, that this is a, an unpopular message, but, but in the hearts of people were, um, was sin. In the hearts of people uh, was the description that we'll hear later that, that Jesus didn't condem- come to condemn the world, but, but the bad news is the world was already condemned. And so were you, and so was I, outside of the rescue of Jesus. So it's not like he came and caught you in your sin and goes, oh, I found you out, now I'm going to send you to hell. Which is sort of the, the popular misconception of Christians, right? All these judgmental people that just want to find people sinning and catch them doing bad, naughty stuff, saying bad words and smoking cigarettes and, and naughty things. And then catching them and saying, hey, if you don't stop those bad words and puffing and doing all that stuff, you're going straight to hell. It's, it's this wrong idea. And Jesus didn't entrust himself to that nonsense. What Jesus was about was the mission of God. And he had a mission to rescue all of humanity who had sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so the message that he has is good news. But it's only good news to the one who knows the bad news. And so you get this guy, Nicodemus. And to understand Nicodemus, you have to understand Pharisees a little bit. Let's read what, um, what, we, what we learn about him in just a few short passages of Scripture. Is everybody still with me? John chapter 3 and verse 1, it says, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Now this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So as, as, we're, as we're studying scripture... Um, you're, you're looking at it, and you want to really look at every sentence and not just breeze over a sentence. And Because in this short two verses, you learn a bunch about a guy named Nicodemus. The first thing that you learn about him is he was a man, right? And you're like, well, okay, not just that he was a male, but that he was a human being, a historical figure, a guy with thoughts, feelings, emotions, who was having a real conversation with Jesus. The second thing, and, and with that, by the way, is that on that human level, having human philosophical questions, right? Questions about life and death and everything in between. You, you have any of those questions? Any of that stuff getting stirred up lately? I mean, if you're on social media, there's all kinds of stuff going on about the end of the world and whatever else. And so I think there was a prediction that somebody told me it was going to be a couple days ago and we're still here. I would say one thing, and not in total, not in like smart aleck jest, but I would say when there's a prediction, you can pretty much guarantee it's not going to be that day because no man knows the day or the hour. And so sometimes these things are, are good that we read and they stir up philosophical questions and real questions in our mind. And they can, some of these warnings are, are, are very prophetic and important, so I'm not discounting all of them. But I'm saying Jesus is now pointing to the root and the core and the cause of why he came and the good news of the gospel. And Nicodemus, no doubt, in his world, in his time, uh, was, was sorting all of these things out as a human. The next thing that we learn about him is that he was a Pharisee, right? A Pharisee um, is, for all of us who read the Bible, especially the New Testament, we automatically think Pharisee, religious guy, not the hero of the story, right? 
pastors are famous for it. They're always bagging on the Pharisees, right? It's just like, it's, it's associated with religiosity. And Jesus himself reserved his harshest language for the Pharisees and the Sadducees. If you read the gospel, he calls them things like whitewashed tombs, brood of vipers. But to understand a Pharisee in that moment is different than understanding a Pharisee centuries prior to that. There was a, a time in biblical history where they were called these silent years, intertestamental period, 400 years where God wasn't talking. You ever feel like God's not talking? You know, you really need to hear from him. It's like, 400 years of that, no prophetic voice. Out of that time came uh, movements that really wanted to protect the purity of Judaism. Those that would, would really make sure that in this uncertain time that things weren't forgotten or lost, especially the law of God. Now, there's the, the written law of God called the Torah, right? And there's plenty to, to adhere to and abide by, you know, the Ten Commandments and so forth. But there's also the oral law, the Mishnah. The oral law was, was laws that were like rules that helped you not get anywhere near breaking these laws. They're rules to protect you from breaking the rules. Does that make sense? I think there's 613 of them. And every single command needed to be abided by in order for you to maintain purity. It was about purity. Pharisees were about staying pure. That's why in this gospel there's a lot about ceremonial washing. Remember the first miracle, turning the water into wine. These were ceremonial washing bins that, he, that Jesus used to do that. So much symbolism with that. And so what started out as a group of devout people wanting to be orthodox, these were the right-wingers of, of, of Judaism. This was literally the conservative party of Judaism. And so over time, in that desire to protect and make sure they're doing Judaism right, year after year, the focus is on doing things right, obeying the rules so God doesn't get mad at you or that you're impure and that you miss the mark. Now, the problem with that over a 400-year period is the focus becomes the rules. The focus becomes the person who is strong enough to do it. And, and Jesus comes with this revolutionary message that's like, hey, guess what? Not one of you can pull it off. You need a rescue. And so what starts out as something pure ends up as something which really becomes oppressive to the people. Like, you can't do anything. You, you ever feel like you can't do anything right? Like, oh, man, I can't do anything right. You ever feel like that? Can you imagine having a, a Pharisee who had authority? in society and culture, and he's like, you're right. You can't do anything right. And even on the day where you felt like you could do something right, he's like, hey, just a reminder, you can't do anything right. <laughs> so no wonder that, that Jesus spoke out against them. But the, the real problem over time with the Pharisees' focus on, on ceremonial purity was it took the focus off of God. Although that was a desire. Isn't it crazy how the enemy can work? I've heard it said before, you know, some, sometimes the enemy can tempt you with drugs or alcohol, but if that's not your thing, he can tempt you with busyness, making you believe you're doing all this great stuff for God, and meanwhile, God's far off in the distance, and it's more about you. That's kind of where the, the Pharisee was at. And so, to understand, again, the, the Pharisee is to understand the big picture. Now, there weren't a, 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 a ton of Pharisees, maybe 3,000 or so, um, but they were prominent, but these guys were, um, these guys were, like I said, not all of them were priests, but they were really devout, and they had some authority in society to make sure that rules were followed. There was another group called the Sadducees, 
And if you're any good Sunday school student, you know this, that the Sadducees are sad, you see. <laughs> so in the lineup of these things, like Pharisees are conservative, Sadducees are arist arist aristocratic elite. They were political, they were wealthy, they were priests, and, and they were more kind of working with Rome. They, they were on the other side. So you have these two sides of people. And, um, and, and the Sadducees did not believe in things like miracles. They were sad, you see, because that was, this was it in life. You don't get resurrection from the dead. You don't get heaven. The Pharisees believed in all of that, but the Sadducees didn't. Now, why I'm telling you all this stuff is to give you an idea of who Jesus is talking to. Jesus is talking to a Pharisee who believes in conservative things, he believes in miracles, he believes in the Messiah to come, he believes in resurrection from the dead, hopeful, wanting to do the right thing, but a deep, deep rule follower, not this Sadducee. But what's interesting about Nicodemus is it says that he was a man, he was a Pharisee, and he was what? A ruler of men, right? It says it right in there, if you look at one of your sentences there, I think it's the first or second verse, that he was a ruler of men. And, and what's important about him being a ruler of men is an indication that he might be a part of something called the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was like the Jewish Supreme Court. And, it, and, and it's a little mysterious, really. Um, scholars will debate about this, about the number of it. But there was probably like 70, 71 of these guys. They were um, made up of priests and possibly Pharisees. And so th this is what's thought that it means by you're the ruler of men, that you have um, uh, more responsibility than the average Pharisee. You're probably sitting on the court. There's probably something prominent about you. Okay, so you kind of get a general idea of who Nicodemus is. All right, cool. Great. <laughs> I worked really hard on that for you. So, so the conclusion is at minimum, we know he's an average, we know he's a man, we know he's a Pharisee, but we know that he wasn't just like an average Pharisee. He was later called, and Jesus says it to him, kind of calls him out and goes, you, you don't get this stuff about being born again. You're the teacher of Israel. Maybe he's a bit of a rock star. Maybe he's a bit of like, hey, did you hear Nicodemus last week? Did you go to Nicodemus' con conference? Like, no, we couldn't get tickets, you know. So, so he's, he's somebody. I think it's important. Um, well, let me, let me read a little bit more into that. It says, um, it says that now there was a, a man of Pharisee named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, this man came by night and said, Rabbi, we know, so he's speaking on behalf of these religious authorities, that you are a teacher from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So he's acknowledging something, even however controversial Jesus was, he's acknowledging something's going on, we know, but I want to interview you. I'm taking the authoritative role with you, Jesus. I want to ask you some questions so I can report back to my people. There's a little phrase in there that says that he came at night. And a lot of people, scholars, will have different assumptions about that. And the reality is we don't know why he came at night, right? Because the Bible didn't say he came at night because he was afraid. It didn't say he came at night because he was too busy during the day. So we are left with the opportunity to kind of make assumptions, right? And so these are small things, these, are these sort of assumptions, but they're things to, to push into a little bit. Like, why would he come at night? And it's very possible he came at night because Jesus was controversial and he didn't want other people to know. That's a possibility. But, but I've heard a couple people say this, and I kind of think this makes sense to me too, that if he's a teacher of Israel, if he's got a lot going on, how much time do you have in your day? 
And if you don't have a lot going on in your day, and Jesus is speaking all the time during the day, and whenever you hear about Jesus walking through towns, especially since he's doing these signs, what do you see with Jesus? Crowds of people. Do you think you can have a really one-on-one interview type conversation? Like, hey, can I get a minute? It's sort of like in our church settings when we're talking to one another. We, I love it. It was such a cool thing about our church is that after, nobody goes home. <laughs> and, and I love that. Like, you know, and people are in conversations and you're starting a conversation here, but you see your friend over there and you're like, oh, because you're in the crowd and this fellowship is so important. But you're like, yes, yes, yes. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And you, you see your friend walking out the door and you're like, oh, I got to get to them. And you're trying to end this conversation to start that. Does anybody else have that? Don't stop doing it. Don't stop that. It's beautiful. The crowd is important. The fellowship is important. Even if we're like fragmented conversations, they're beautiful. I happen to believe that more significant things spiritually happen in those conversations sometimes than in this conversation. Don't get me wrong. I think the word of God is important and it's going to be preached here always. Otherwise, you should not come to this church. But what happens after is the, the beauty of membership. It's the beauty of fellowship together. It's the, hey, can I pray for you? It's the, how's that going? It's the, hey, I think God wants to say something to you. And, and I, I'm a little vulnerable in doing this, but I believe God wants to say this to you. I think that is more remembered than everything I'm saying right now. But that said, the crowd is important. But what I liked about what a, a couple of different people said about him going at night was that he wanted one-on-one time with Jesus. And and I want to say this, that as important as all this is, and it should not stop, right? We shouldn't forsake the assembly of the brethren. Nothing should stop us from meeting together. That's where we build one another up. That doesn't stand in the place of meeting Jesus at night. And that at night might mean early morning for you. That as just a way of application, come back to that place of just sitting and being still and knowing that he's God. Carving out time to read his word. Carving out time to ask him hard questions about your life and being okay if you don't hear answers. But casting your cares on him. Maybe that time for you looks like the time where your only silent and quiet time is on your drive. And hopefully you have like a Tesla or something that's like super quiet and you can just like go. It drives itself and you just like talk to God. Maybe it's you in your car. Maybe it's you in that favorite chair when all the kids are off to school and you can come back and take that 15 minutes. But take that time to do what Nicodemus was doing, was getting away from the crowd and just having one-on-one time with Jesus. And so as we we read on, um, we find Jesus gets into this conversation with him about being born again. In in chapter 3, in verse 3, it says, Jesus answered him, "Uh, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom. And Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? This is the first introduction of this word born again. How many of you asked Jesus into your life in like, let's just say the 1970s? Jesus came into your life in the 1970s. Well, if that's the case, more than likely you weren't just a Christian, you were a born-again Christian. And if that was into the night, how many in the 1980s? Like some of you are like, dude, I wasn't even born yet. The 1980s. On into that, you weren't just a Christian. What kind of Christian were you? A born-again Christian. That was an easy one, right? A born-again Christian was like a brand. 
am, am I the only one that born, even people would call them like born-agains and stuff like that. It was like a different kind of Christian than the other Christians. And to be born again, um, and sometimes people wouldn't even say they were a Christian. They didn't like that word. They would say, I'm born again. Come on, does anybody have this? Like, I thought for sure you'd be like, yeah, I remember. <laughs> so, so what Jesus is saying here um, in, in that period in time really, really caught on. But for Nicodemus, he's hearing it, and he gets a little, like, like a little sassy with Jesus. You know, like, hey, like, what, what, what? Like, you can hear the sarcasm. Like, what, I'm old. Do I get back in the womb? Is that how it works? And, and, and Jesus gets pretty straightforward with him right back. But historically, we understand something, that this wasn't the first time Nicodemus would have heard that term born again. It's actually a Jewish concept. And it's not only ancient Jewish, it's actually modern Jewish as well. A lot of, um, I, I read some stuff this week, and I'm not an expert in Judaism, so I'm happy to hear back from you if you are, honestly. But from some things that I read this week, in fact, I read one rabbi who was encouraging his sort of congregation that don't let the fact that the, that the Christians use born again take you away from what born again means to us. And what he said was that to be born again was what would happen when a pagan, that's anyone who's not Jewish, when a pagan converted into Judaism... It was a rebirthing process that you were born again and it was an adoption into Abraham now as your father. And if you understand the biblical concept of adoption, it was as if he was always your father and that's now your new blood. And so this rabbi was, was saying, hey, this is a willful choice. And he said, maybe some of us in this congregation need to make a willful choice to be born again and that as adults, we decide that we want to be those who have Abraham as our blood father and want to be devout to Judaism. So that's modern Judaism. Ancient Judaism, same thing. When you're a pagan and you, come, you, you convert, you get born again. And so he's hearing these words, and then Jesus sort of unpacks them. And why all this is important why all this is important is because, remember, this is the teacher of Israel. Remember, John's point in the Gospels to show why Jesus came so that people would believe, you and me, future generations. So he's presenting this case, and he's showing this teacher of Israel that this isn't like brand new stuff. This was God's plan all the way. Even some of the terms that you have and understand, God, God's going to use them to show you something. And so um, if you read on, it says Jesus answers him with a truly, truly, a verily, verily, maybe your translation says. It's like, I really mean this. Listen up. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. I like this, too, because Jesus is, like, taking the driver's seat. Like, you might have come to interview me, but listen up. I have all authority, Nicodemus. I'm driving here. And so he says, um, he says, do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, and you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everything who is born, everyone, excuse me, who is born of the Spirit. I don't know if you've read these passages before and kind of breeze over them and go, ah. <laughs> I, I maybe have in times ago. I don't know what it means to be born of water and born of the Spirit, but, but let's look at it a little bit. 
I think there's some simple explanations. From some of the study I did this week, there's different theologians that I, they came up with like six different ideas about what this could mean. One of them is a popular belief in some denominations that salvation happens once you get dipped in the water, that it requires the water for salvation. I don't believe that. I don't believe that that, that, that follows the, the message of the Bible in its totality. And maybe you were raised in that denomination or in a denomination that believes that way. The, the point is, what, what Jesus is saying here is not like you have to be born of water, meaning once you hit the water, you're actually saved. You know, you have the thief on the cross. That would be a problem for the thief on the cross, right? I heard one pastor say in a sermon, like, um, I'd like for you to be in paradise with me today, but I'm going to have to get you down, dip you in some water, get you back up. Then today I'll see you in paradise. We don't read that. So what we do read is something that the prophet Ezekiel said that might just explain this. Um, what, what happens when, when um, a woman is pregnant and her water breaks? Baby's coming, right? So there's, there, is, there is some way this idea that uh, part of being born of water, many would say being born of water is just being born. Hey, unless you're, you've got to be a human. You've got to be alive. You've got to be born. And I think that's a fair thing to say. And then being born of the Spirit speaks of a, a, a supernatural regeneration, that when you accept Jesus in your life, all things become new. How many of you can remember the moment that Jesus became real to you and the days that followed? The days that follow that is like, did you not feel like something new happened, like you're a different person? Maybe it's easier to say it this way. How many of you know someone that was like total jerk, terrible, horrible person before they knew Jesus? And then they meet Jesus, and they now are not a jerk anymore. They look completely different. They actually smile and say nice things. I love it when God brings somebody out of a, 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 like a lifestyle where maybe they like tattooed their face or something and they had like these horrible like stories about like all the people they brutalize or whatever else. And they still look like that. But then they get Jesus in their life and then you go, hey, you're like, I want to meet you, but I heard you were a Christian. And you go shake their hand and they're like, hi, God bless you, brother. You know, and they like bring you in and give you a holy kiss or something, right? It's like the completely different person than this guy that society knew is like a horrible person. Now it's this person who has been born again. They're completely different. So let's look at Ezekiel um, chapter 36 and verses 24 and 27. He says, I'll take you from the nation and gather you from all countries and bring you into your own land. And listen to these terms. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness and from all your idols. I will cleanse you. Verse 26 says, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you. And you will walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. If you look at that verse from the prophet Ezekiel who speaks prophetically to a guy who should know that, like a guy like Nicodemus, a teacher of Israel, and he begins to put these pieces together and go, okay, wait, what's going on here? Unless I'm born of water. Now, the water doesn't just mean that you're born human, but that you're also cleansed. Water throughout Scripture, especially for a Pharisee, had ceremonial cleansing purposes. So unless I'm cleansed, and by the way, these, the Pharisee would have to begin to understand, as much as I obey these rules, I'm just not clean anymore. But the fact that Jesus could 
bring you new birth through water, cleanse you from all your unrighteousness. And then the second part of that, born of the Spirit. And when he says born of the Spirit, he gives this analogy of the wind, which is a play on words. If you know biblical language, both in Greek and Hebrew, the word wind is the same word for spirit. It's the same word for breath. So Jesus is doing all kinds of cool stuff when he's having this conversation. He's literally blowing Nicodemus' mind. Has Jesus ever blown your mind? I mean, isn't that the awesome part about reading God's word? And you just get these aha moments like, what is going on here? He gives this analogy about the wind. And the wind, as we know, um, the, the, you, can, you can harness the wind and sail with it, but, but you can't predict it. I mean, isn't the wind just like when you want it to blow, it doesn't, and when you don't want it to blow, it does? It's got its own routine. You can't really even, you can try, like, high winds are coming or whatever. You can try to forecast it, but you certainly can't control it. There's nothing you can do to stop the wind, but you can't see the wind. But what can you see? 100% the effects of the wind. Maybe it's on your hair. I don't know. Maybe it's on, on the, the wall in your backyard, the, the fence that's like barely hanging on. Oh, no, the wind's coming. <laughs> Thing comes down. Maybe it's at the beach when you see like waves getting bigger or you see the sand being pushed up. You don't see the wind, but you see the effects of the wind. You can't control it. You can't predict it, but you can experience it. And I think what Jesus was saying to Nicodemus is like, hey, you want to control a whole lot of stuff, and your people want to control a whole lot of things. But it's not that way with my spirit. And your rules aren't going to get you what you want. You've got to have a, a new birth. You have to have transformation. Aren't you grateful for transformation? That's the whole point of the, of the gospel. And so I'm running out of time quickly, but, but then he gets into this kind of weird story. And he says, Nicodemus said, how can these things be? Jesus answered him. He says, are you the the teacher of Israel, and, and yet you don't understand these things? He gets another truly, truly thrown at him. Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and we bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. I have told you earthly things and you do not believe. How can you believe heavenly things? And he says, no one, um, this is where the weird story comes in. No one has ascended to heaven except he who descended from heaven the son of man. And then he throws, and maybe weird's not the word for it, I apologize, but he says this in verse 14, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the son of man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. As Moses, you know, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, right? Right, you know. That's one of those times like most of us as Christians were like, I really don't know, but I'm going to pretend I know. Um, there's a story in the book of Numbers, and you probably know I'm just being trying to be silly, but it's not really going over, so I say it multiple times to get more laughs. But anyways, the, um, in, in Numbers chapter 21, I think it's 21, yeah, 21, you can read it yourself in 6 through 9, do you remember that the children of Israel complained a lot? And if there's anything that you might just take away from this message is God really doesn't like it when we complain. God really does not like it when we complain. And the children of Israel were complaining about their manna burgers. They were just like, like I think one of the translations says, my soul hates this food. There was so much manna. 
And, um, and so they were, they were griping about the food that God had provided for them. Some of you moms are like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go get my kid out of the nursery right now. Can you repeat that? No, I'm just kidding. Um, and so, so they, were, they were complaining about this. And, and God heard their complaints and responded with serpents who came and bit them. And as, they bit, as the serpents would bite them, thousands died. Isn't the Old Testament great? You're like, okay, let's not tell my new Christian friend that story, Danny, weirdo. <laughs> no, it's in the book. Like, it's in there, right? And it's in there for a reason. Now, do we understand completely the mind of God and why he judges the way he does? Absolutely not. But God gets to do whatever he wants to do. Why? Because he's God. And God chose to bring his judgment in that way. But with that judgment, God also brought his mercy Because what happened when people started dying because they were getting bit by snakes, they came to Moses and said, please intercede for us. And Moses interceded and said, God, please stop killing them with biting snakes. And God says, okay, take a bronze snake and put it on a pole and hold it up. And when somebody gets bit by a snake, tell them to look at the snake. And when they look at the snake, they won't die. Why did God do that? I don't know. Why does the wind blow the way that it does? Can I control the story? No. Right? I can't. This is the story. God does what God does, just like the wind blows like the wind is going to blow. But there's something that God used, I believe, and that Jesus was using in this story to go, hey, so it is with me, Jesus says. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be lifted up, and I'm going to bring salvation that whoever believes in me won't perish. I'm the rescue mission. So this, the, the snake gets put up on a pole, and, Jesus has, and the people have to look at what is lifted up. The very thing that was... Was, was, you know, biting them in their venom. Now there's a sacrificial element to what's on the pole, and what's on the pole is looked up to and brings salvation to the people. Does this sound like anything? Like Jesus on the cross, becoming man, having no sin, taking on the curse of sin, being put on a pole so that all would look up to him and that those who believe would have eternal life, no longer living under the venom of the snake that bites Ever heard of any other kind of snake story in the Bible, maybe in Genesis? Could it all be tied together? Could it all be that this Nicodemus is like, whoa, I've read all this stuff and now I get it. We don't know. We don't know because the Bible doesn't say Nicodemus goes, whoa, I get it. But it does show us throughout the rest of Nicodemus's portion in in the Gospel of John that he's a sympathizer to Jesus. Doesn't say he's a follower. But he speaks up for Jesus on one occasion. And later, after Jesus' death, he brings a very costly um, gift to the burial of Jesus. And so we see him three times in this gospel. I'm running out of time, and, and um, so I'm going to read this last part. And it says this. Um, he says that, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And by the way, that word eternal life is a, is a life abundant, right? It is a state of life in this present life that you're living life and life to the fullest and it's a quantity of life that you live life forever with Jesus. Here comes the big one. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whomever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but in order that the world might be saved through him. You ever heard that one before? You know, and, and it is one of those verses that we just take um, on its own and we put the passage at sporting events or, or wherever else. And it's good that we, we do it because um, Martin Luther 
he said that this was like the, the summary verse of the Bible. You know, this was, this was the, the capsule of the gospel. This, is, this says it all. I love this verse. You should love this verse. Your children probably rec- um, memorized it. You've probably memorized it. I don't think it's wrong. I think it's right to pause and just say, for God so loved Danny that he, he gave his only son, that, whoever, that if, if I believe in him, I'd have eternal life. Your name fits in that category of the one that God so loved. That just so there's no mistaking who God loves, the Greek word for God so loves the world is cosmos, right? That's the entire thing. I've preached it wrong before. I used to think that it meant ethnos. Ethnos means the people in the world. But God loves, just so there's no mistaking that God so loved the whole created order that he's going to make a new heaven and a new earth. Man, I wish I had more time to tell you just the things that are are happening inside of me about just understanding what creation is all about. In fact, we've gotten it so wrong. The beauty of creation, the the opportunity that we have to care for creation, the the reason why you can sit and and sit in our garden and watch our crazy squirrels and just go, wow, and just feel so right, you know? As I said before, the only problem with our garden is the freeway behind it. If there was no freeway behind it, I think I would just live out there. It's so cool. If you've never seen it, it's like this great ecosystem of hummingbirds and grapes and stuff growing and there's turtles and fish in the little aquarium and there's hermit crabs and it's just like a picture of why does it feel so good to be out there god loves it he so loves it but he didn't come to save the hermit crab from eternity of suffering he he came to rescue the entire created order of which you are the crown jewel that's what blows my mind I really love creation. I really feel the uh, of the city sometimes. Like concrete after a while is just like, uh. that's why we're so, so blessed to live near the ocean. That we can just, just drive down the 55 freeway or wherever you live and get near the coast. And once you get a glimpse of, of that big, wide, blue, beautiful ocean, you're just like, it's like, it is well with my soul starts to play in your ears, you know? It changes your perspective. And all that beauty is just a love letter for you. It's just like God saying all this that you're supposed to take care of, like it matters the way you treat it. All that is is for you to take care of and for you to see how much I love you and for you to see my invisible attributes, it's for you. When it says Jesus didn't come to condemn the world, it's so important that we realize we were already condemned. That's why he didn't come to condemn the world. He came to rescue the world that he so loves. And so I, I, I kind of end with that, that as we consider all these things, right, and I'm going to just read the, the final part in its entirety, and I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up. And, and I, I sure love that um, I will make room for you song. I think that would be perfect. That's a little hint. Um, but just as we respond to this, to make room for the salvation that God has brought us, Verse 19, or excuse me, it, it says on in, after verse 16 and verse 17, says, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Can you just hear that for a minute? You are condemned outside of the rescue of Jesus, but if you believe in him, you are no longer condemned. 
That is revolutionary to your eternal destiny. Like, I know this is the end of the service, and I know that your stomach is beginning to go whatever that place is that you want to eat at. I always love to, like, throw something out, and then, you know, it's, like, in your head. Like, I'm going to go get that place. I'm not going to do that right now. But, but, but I realize that. That's a human part, but, but, but this is an important part right now. That belief in Jesus means salvation to your soul. That belief in Jesus means you will not perish as you are on the course of without him, but you will have eternal life. Belief in Jesus gives you the opportunity to sing like we sang, Lord, I look to you. I won't be overwhelmed. Crazy's going on in Israel. Difficulties happening in, uh, war happening in Israel. War happening in Ukraine. Rumors of war. Tension. Lord, I look to you. I won't be overwhelmed. Every opportunity in your life to be overwhelmed. Your physical condition, things that are going on in your life. I could be overwhelmed, but I'm going to look to you. Why? Because you are not condemned. You are promised eternal life. The full picture of the gospel is that you're also promised some tribulation to go along with it, but the grace to endure it. Isn't that beautiful? I'm not saying tribulation is beautiful, but, but all of this pales in comparison to the glories that await you in eternity. But the tragedy of thinking that there's some other way to get there just by being good, the tragedy of thinking like, but I'm better than, I mean, and someone could have a really good case for this, by the way. I'm better than most Christians I know. And, and I got to say, I've met people that are better than most Christians I know. Better maybe ethically, better maybe morally. Maybe they give more money away or they do more things. But just like Nicodemus, Jesus is saying, you could do all 612 of those things flawlessly, but that doesn't get you salvation because you're on a path to condemnation. But belief in Jesus gets you eternal life. Whoever believes of all the cosmos, of every tribe, every time. Do you realize this? I'm going to say something that might really offend you. America is not God's favorite country. It's another country in the cosmos of the universe that God so loves. I love this country. I'm, I'm grateful and glad that I, I got to be born here. But do you realize that, that God loves Indonesia? Do you realize that, that God loves Micronesia? Did you even know there was a place called Micronesia? Did you, do you know God loves Cape Verde? Like, not just like, oh, those are his stepkids, but we're the ones with, like, he really loves us. He so loves the world. He loves people you don't like a lot. He loves them so much that he gave his one and only son. When you begin to understand that, you can understand and love your country more like God loves it. Your heart begins to expand that you realize through Jesus God made no exclusions that all people even the nations that we find so pagan. How do you think Jonah felt when he's like, hey, I'm going to send you to Nineveh. Those are the people who hate you and do terrible things to the people of Israel. I'm going to send you there. Because God, even in the Old Testament, shows his mercy that he so loves the whole world. I don't mind that I'm on a soapbox preaching right now about that because that is the truth. That is the absolute truth. And, and, and I'll, I'll read this because... There's the good news and then the bad news kind of finds its way in there too. It says, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the Son of God. This is the judgment. Light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light 
because of their works of evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. I want to let them sing this song and I want to allow the message maybe to settle over you, especially if you've been a Christian for a long time and John 3.16 maybe took on a, I don't know, maybe less of an impact. I pray that it takes on a new one. I also want to say to you, if you've never believed in Jesus and you've wondered, like, what's the next step? Is it the membership thing? I mean, that's part of it, but that's not what gets you salvation. That affirms that you are a follower of Christ. But the simple truth for you is that God so loved, put your name in that blank. He so loved you that if you believe in Jesus, you won't perish but have everlasting life. The Bible makes it really clear that you affirm these things out loud. Like you, 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 you believe in your heart, you confess with your mouth that he is the Lord. This could be your moment. You know, this could be a moment for you to rededicate your life to the reality of Jesus and, and walk in, in such newness of life, born of the water, cleansed from your unrighteousness. How good does it feel to know you're forgiven of your sin? And, and then born of the Spirit, taken on a new life. Another translation would be born of above, a new birth for you, a fresh start. I believe God wants that for some that are here today. And so as they're playing that, uh, this song, maybe you'd consider some of the things that Jesus claimed and said and how you might respond to that. I like if we could just dim the lights a little bit. I think it gives us the opportunity to focus a little bit more. But let's, let's sing this song and then we'll dismiss.
heart's desire. We want to make room for you in this moment to do whatever you want to do. We know your desire is very clear that you don't want anyone to perish. It's the deep love of the Father and sending the Son was so that nobody has to. That the choice is there for every person of every tribe and every tongue and every nation. Lord, as we stand or sit or kneel in your presence, we honor you. We honor you in this place, God. We surrender our, our lives to you fresh and anew. Lord, we lean into the sacrifice that you made on our behalf. And we thank you that through that newness of life, we can walk holy and we can continue to do our best to live as you've called us to live by your grace but that doing all the works and trying to be good on our own is getting us nowhere. It's through your grace that we change. It's through your grace that we have new birth, born of water, being cleansed of our unrighteousness and born of the spirit, being made new in you, born from above. And God, I just pray for each and every person in this room We don't know how Nicodemus responded to all this mind-blowing stuff that you, Jesus, told him. We don't know because the Bible doesn't say, but we know how we could respond. I'm going to give you the opportunity if there's anyone in here, and, and this may just actually be the most important message of the whole Gospel of John this particular day. But if you've not given your life to Jesus, and maybe you hear these words and you're kind of finding yourself in a similar seat of Nicodemus, like, now what do I do with it? Those are pretty big claims. I'm condemned already, but there's one who's come to save me. There's a belief in that. As you're sitting here, don't take that lightly. The Bible just tells us, as I said before, that acknowledging our belief is important, right? So you you can do that on your own anytime. You can say, God, I, I believe, I know, I know I'm condemned. It makes sense to me now. But I invite you to be the Lord and the Savior of my life. Lord, meaning I surrender to you. I give you everything. And Savior, I acknowledge the fact that you came so that I can have life eternal here now and forever. If that's you, I would encourage you to confess Jesus. In fact, we can even pray right now. and I'll pray with you. Jesus, I, I know I'm condemned without you. You don't have to say it out loud. You can say it out loud if you want, or you can say it under your breath, but just so you know, Jesus, I know I'm, I'm condemned without you. I acknowledge that, and I, I believe in you. Something's happening in my heart right now. I believe you, and I want to follow you. I want to make you the Savior and the Lord of my life. Maybe there are others of you who have strayed away from Jesus and and you're feeling the earnest pulling to come back to him. Let him know. Jesus, thank you for your grace. Thank you that you so love us. Thank you that you rescued us. Thank you that we can be born again and in you all things can become new. Bless your people now, I pray. In the powerful name of Jesus, amen and amen. Amen. If you, if you prayed, man, and you want to talk about it, come talk to us. But, but uh, God bless you, and, and spend some time thinking about salvation. It's important. Amen. God bless you. Have a, have a wonderful week.
This is how I fight my battle. Mm. This is how I fight my battle. This is how I fight my battle. This is how I fight my battle.
darkest night you were close like no other I've known you as a father I've known you as a friend oh I have lived in the goodness of God oh and all my my 
Joy. 